Brothers and Sisters Like These is proudly sponsored by the North Carolina Veterans Writing Alliance Foundation. My name is Ron Toller. Welcome to Brothers and Sisters Like These, a series of stories presented by warriors of all ages, representing men and women alike who share images of war in their recollections. Brothers and Sisters Like These is a veterans writing group featuring members who share stories and poems with each other and the public around our state as part of their healing. This group is part of the North Carolina Veterans Writing Alliance Foundation. Each of these groups has the goal of supporting veterans as they heal from their war experience. There is a house in New Orleans they call the rising sun And it's been the ruin of many a poor war In God I know I'm one Hi, my name is Stephen Henderson. I'm president of the North Carolina Veteran Riding Alliance Foundation and a proud member of brothers and sisters like these. Our writing program started was started by our uh, primary care physician, Dr. Bruce Kelly. I received a phone call at Trader Joe's. He proposed for me to attend a writing group he was starting for veterans, a group where we would write and share our times in Vietnam and other with other veterans. He said it would help with PTSD and a time to meet with other veterans like me. I was skeptical, but I did go to the first class. First class was very interesting, but I was trying to make myself believe it would not work. I had not written my stories, especially about Vietnam and my experience before, during, and after. The second time I started writing a story about the day before I left home, this prompt was given to us by Joseph Beante, the state poet laureate and a professor and author from Appalachian State University. He has worked for several years with veteran groups and holds a place in his heart for combat veterans. This story was chosen for our book, Brothers Like These. The next few classes, I was really into writing and very motivated. I was surprised how much I could remember after 46 years. As a fellow brother read their stories in this group, I was amazed that I had the same feelings and experience I had been hiding for so many years. A, big, a bond began to grow between us all. I made my mind up I wanted to get rid of my demons and become a better person. This is when I wrote my second story in the book about combat flak jacket. All of my stories move me, especially when I share them with others. Our first public reading was at Asheville Community Theater. I was amazed by the number of folks who attended and showed a keen interest in our experiences. 
after 18 veterans from all branches of service shared a piece of their writings, we had a had a small follow-up. The questions and love and support we all received from sharing such intimate experiences was phenomenal. It gave all of us such a feeling of elation and value. We have done readings across the state of North Carolina and locally at ACT and Flat Rock Playhouse. I am so proud that several of us have stayed together for five and a half years. The VA is taking the program across the visit on two other regions across the VA network for the Vietnam veterans. I believe in what we are doing it is our, our goal to encourage other vets to share their stories and seek help, not hiding their feelings for the number of years that most of us did. We have found our stories have helped other veterans, their families and relationships, as well as civilians to understand we are not baby killers and animals. We were just like everyone. We did our job and more. Some of us had to take lives and watch our brothers and sisters give their lives. At this time, I would like to read my first six days in the bush by Steve Henderson, India Company 34, 3rd Marine Division. After I arrived in Vietnam, I was sent to Quang Tree to meet up with India Company 34, 3rd Marine Division. I was issued a all my gear and went <clears throat> through a makeshift orientation that proved not to prepare me for anything. I was flown by CH-53 helicopter to the Vandegrift Combat Base, nicknamed Stud, where I met up with my platoon. There we stood lines for 24 hours before heading to the bush. I was taken by chopper into the DMZ to hunt patrol for seven, for three weeks. The first day in the bush was somewhat uneventful, dealing with the heat and leeches, and the weight of gear was enough. Second day in the bush, after two hours of humping, we got into a firefight with the NBA. This is when I realized that all my training had been about. When I was told to move out amidst the fire around us, I moved out and did my job. After the firefight was over, we did our first body count. We had killed several MVAs. This touched me in a surreal way, but I noticed that Marines that had been there for months, this was just a regular day at work for them. The third day in the bush, this young man I had met, he was the largest man in our platoon. He was 6'4", a Polish kid from New England. I remember he had a great smile. The gunny sergeant informed him that morning that he would be walking point that day. After being in the firefight the previous day, everyone was somewhat on edge and alert. Several hours into the patrol that day, a shot rang out from AK-47. I assumed it to be a sniper. The bullet hit this good-looking Marine, and he walked and I watched a Navy corpsman work on him until he succumbed to his wound. It was like a horrible nightmare unfolding before me. The radio man called in for medic medevac. 
two choppers flew over us and radio back. They were unable to land due to large concentration of MBA on three sides of us. They said they would try again the following day. Day four, we all took turns carrying this Marine in the body bag, trying not to, to phantom what we were really doing. We had to keep moving due to the concentration of the enemy and get away from the horseshoe of the MVA around us. The chopper could, could not land safely on the fourth day. Needless to say, carrying this Marine around was taking a toll on all of us, both physically and mentally. On the fifth day, we continued to hunt to a safer place, taking turns with the body bag. On the sixth day, we were out of sea rations, water, ammo due to the firefight we had earlier. Radio contact confirmed helicopters returning to get the body and bring us needed supplies. The chopper dropped our supplies first, and then we hoisted out the body and one injured man due to heat exhaustion. The first six days in the bush, I felt I became a grown man. This made me realize that I would do whatever it took to get my fellow Marines and myself out of the bush alive each day. I have always wondered how his, this affected his, this man's family and friends and why he was denied the life he could have had. My second reading, I am fine. White lies. The white lies started as I landed back in the United States at Camp Lejeune. As a patient in the Naval Hospital, I did not talk about my injuries or medical needs, even when my family came to see me. When my wife came to see me, she did not ask me about my time in Vietnam, and I re re relieved, I was relieved. The talk was only of how much they missed me and how I missed them. If anyone asked me how I felt, I said, I'm fine, good. And the conversation moved as if accepted. I was put on profile, light duty, of an injured Marine. About two-thirds of the platoon who had not been to war, their injuries were sustained during training drills. Here at home, these guys never asked us any questions about our time in battle about Vietnam, about what to expect. Not knowing what led ahead of them, I was assigned to the demonstration platoon, my job until I got out of the Marine Corps. I was eligible for base housing because I had a family and also served in Vietnam. I was able to tell a few white lies to lower the price of furniture so I could afford this house for my family. Finally, I was able to spend time with my year-old baby and my wife. So I remember calling home, telling my wife I was getting two plane tickets from Asheville to Fedville. The conversation did not go well. She said she was living with her mother and could not leave her mother to come down. 
I recall the first thing that came into my mind was an ultimatum I gave. If you're not on that plane to meet me, then we're through. This was earlier in the week, and when Saturday came, I had no idea if she would be there or not. The sight of them coming through the airport was one of pure elation. I had worked for for days to prepare the house and for them to and needed them to be there. This was the beginning of the words, I am fine. That I spoke out loud to anyone I asked and to myself over and over. Why wouldn't I be fine? I'm out of the bush and home with my family. Still, the answer was not true and one that I desperately tried to pretend to convince myself and others. I had several good jobs over the years. I was a leader in each role and quite successful. I felt like an actor doing what I was doing. Very few people I had served in the United States Marine Corps. I did this time on, on my I did list this time on my resume, hoping that it would get my foot in the door for some jobs. I only shared my service in the military when I went to car sales. My son gave me a Marine Corps towel that I placed over the back of my chair in my office. I used to break the ice and build trust with my customers. Again, though, not a word about Vietnam, the truth of the time there in my service. For years, I felt like I was acting whatever part I was playing. I played whatever people needed me to do, to be, or to say in order to maintain the relationship or the job. For years, I felt like I was overprotective and would get angry if someone tried to wrong my family or friends. I felt I needed to take up for everyone, often to the point of being violent. I remember so many times when I could not sleep, nightmares of tossing and turning, getting up the next morning saying, I feel fine and going to work and act like I was a, in a good mood when I really wasn't. I'm not proud of the many fights I got into. I am proud that I never struck a child or a woman. My last job, I was told to, I had to be hard-nosed and firm as a supervisor. I was able to do this successfully while being fair and affirming to those who worked hard. I was proud that I always tried to salvage weak employees and improve their skills in order for them to keep their jobs. I have been very fortunate to have great job opportunities and enjoy many aspects of each job. Looking back, I see how much I hid the pain, worked on very little sleep, and said I'm fine when my mind was halfway around the world, being shot at, losing my brothers, and wondering why my life was spared. Many lives were not. 
Today, I'm proud to say I'm getting there. Some days I'm fine, and this is true. Other days are harder, but luckily I have the courage to say, not so good today, but I know tomorrow will be better. These are a couple of stories that I have written in the last three months. And some of the earlier stories are in the book, Brothers Like These, which is uh, on Amazon. And, and uh, uh, it's, it's a very good book written by uh, at least 18 of our veterans. We, uh, we have started our first group of uh, Iraq, Afghan, Desert Storm mixed with Vietnam veterans, and it went so well. And we've had so many great writers to come out of this first group with Elizabeth Henney, which has been a blessing to us. She was a therapist and served nine years as a therapist on troops going back and forth to Iraq and Afghanistan. And she also uh, wrote the book, The Honor is Mine, and a, a great author. Uh, to, also today, I would like to talk about a, a Memorial Day, a virtual ceremony. We, along with several veterans groups, including the Buncombe County Veterans Council, are talking with the city of Asheville and Buncombe County, and we've decided to do a virtual ceremony due to the situation we're in today. And uh, it'll be a quite a reverent ceremony. It'll be Monday, May the 25th, 2020, at 11 a.m. It'll be on the city's YouTube channel. So if you go on youtube.com slash city of Asheville, and that is youtube.com slash city of Asheville, and click on the video at the top of the page marked live now for the live event. This will be at 11 a.m. on Veterans Day, May the 25th. And uh, we ask that each and every person that cares about vets or has served or their family members click on this. It'll be a quite moving ceremony. The keynote speaker will be Mrs. Ann Atkins, gold, a gold star mother. And uh, she will be talking about her son that gave the ultimate sacrifice. Her son was named Matthew in his story, a true American patriot. And this will be in his mother's words. We'll also have two of our writers from brothers and sisters like these that have written Memorial Day pieces. And uh, we'll have taps and we'll have a Pledge of Allegiance to the flag and we'll have, um, uh, uh, it'll be quite a ceremony. It'll last about 40 minutes. And we just ask that, that each and every one try to attend this ceremony. At this time, I would like to uh, thank all my brothers and sisters that have written, thank all the audiences, which we've had some very large audiences come and see us, listen to our stories and help heal us and hopefully help them understand that we are human beings that love and care for our nation. Thank you. When the night has come 
We also continue to plan speaking engagements and future classes with another class to start this summer and speaking engagements in Brevard, Kings Mountain, and Flat Rock again when it is safe to do so. We are also working on a website, which we hope to have up and running soon. We've had a number of veterans say to us, I'm not a writer. Our answer to that is that we aren't writers either. We are simply folks with a story to tell. Our writing classes aren't complicated. We start simple build from there. One of our first prompts to encourage stories is where I'm from. I was in the third class and have been fortunate to sit in on two additional classes as an aide. I actually started writing before the classes and I wanted to leave my grandchildren a bit of first-hand history. When you think about it, Vietnam was more than 50 years ago, and Desert Storm was 30 years ago. Iraq and Afghanistan started many years ago also. There's a lot of firsthand history that can be recorded, and that is part of what we were trying to do. Another thing we have been successful in doing building a sense of acceptance and camaraderie. Combat veterans come home to be loners and hermits. Writing class get them out and put them in contact with other veterans who had similar experiences. There's a level of understanding and kinship among these veterans, even with different service backgrounds different branches of service. I would like to give you an example of stories that come out of our classes. As background, I was in the Air Force from January of 1970 to June of 1976. My first assignment after training was the 9th Special Operations Squadron at Da Nang Air Base, Vietnam. My second assignment took me back to Southeast Asia, flying a KC-135 tanker out of CCK, Taiwan, Utapau, Thailand, and Kadena, Okinawa, supporting the air mission in Vietnam. The story I wrote is one in response to the prompt, What Would Save Us? It is a lighter look at my training and occurred as I was on my way to Vietnam. What would save us? My first 18 months of the Air Force were spent training. I went to officer training school, undergraduate pilot training, training on the O2B, the aircraft I first flew in Vietnam, and then to survival school. Survival school's objective was to teach us how to survive an ejection from an aircraft, and if in Vietnam, how to escape and evade the enemy, and what life would be like in a POW camp. 
When I trained in the early 70s, the U.S. had been in Vietnam long enough to have a pretty good idea what downed airmen had experienced. Spent a week in the classroom, then were sent to a nighttime obstacle course, after which we were captured, taken to a POW camp, put in a two-by-two box with black bags over. We weren't supposed to sleep, talk, or take the bags off. Periodically, they would jerk your door open to see if you were wearing the bags or sleeping. They also put they also pulled you out for interrogation. Name, rank, and serial number was all you were supposed to give me. After a night of that, we were taken to the official POW camp where our objective was to escape. I managed to do so, but was recaptured and returned to the camp. We were then taken into what I assumed was a national park. We were given old parachutes to make tents and hammocks, two onions, six potatoes, a live rabbit, told to survive for three days. There were six of us. We had maps and were given the location of our eventual pickup point and a time to arrive. After making it back to this pickup point, we graduated from that training and went on to the next. Jungle School at Clark Air Base, Philippines. Jungle School started very much like basic survival school with classroom instruction. It progressed to practical lessons like being picked up by a helicopter in the jungle and hoisted aboard. We then went into the jungle for training, which included real-life lessons how to escape in the base. The Air Force had an agreement with the local indigenous people to call the Gritos. We were given two metal chips about the size of half a dollar and sent into the jungle to hide as if we were downed airmen in a big territory. When found by tracking the Grito, we were instructed to give him a chip, which would buy him a 50-pound bag of rice to feed his family. Tracker didn't speak English, but they could sign how they found us, such as pointing to their eye to say they'd seen, or pointing to their ear to indicate they'd heard us. The first time in the jungle, I hid in some dense brush, thinking I was well covered. But before long, there was a tug on my sleeve. Found. I asked Tracker how he found me and he pointed to his eye. He had seen me. Back to camp we went. Since we'd all been found, the instructors asked if we'd learned anything and if we could do better. Of course, we all felt we could improve, so they sent us into the jungle again. This time I was determined not to be found. I crawled under the bottom layer of leaves, needles, and the accumulated deedrus of a giant conifer, with many branches going all the way to the ground. Then I covered myself with a deedrus 
And as far as I could tell, I was invisible. I was also very still, so I couldn't be heard. It took longer this time, but the tracker still found me. After I climbed out from under the tree, I again asked how I'd been found. His response was to point to his nose. He had smelled. This story and many others have been published in the chapbook, Brothers Like These, edited by Joseph Bafonte, her first writer in residence and published by the St. Andrews Press. Copies are available from the North Carolina Veterans Writing Alliance for $10 or from Amazon. My second story is one that I've recently written for consideration for the Memorial Day service this May. I would like to give a bit of background before I read it. I grew up with a father and uncle who served in World War II. When I married, my wife's father, mother, and several uncles had also served during the war, including her uncle Rip. He was in the invasion of Normandy. And while a quiet man, he always wondered why he had survived so many of his brothers had not. Another reference is made to Dick Overstreet. His son Steve and I have been friends since the eighth grade. I knew that Dick, a pilot, had died in Korea but did not know the story until I wrote this piece. Steve went on to follow in his dad's footsteps, attending West Point serving in Vietnam, making the Army a career for 26 years. The other names I mentioned are people I've known or learned about through this writing. My piece is titled Memorial Day and Everyday Heroes. Memorial Day to me today not only to honor those who made the ultimate sacrifice in the service of this great land, but also a time to recognize those everyday heroes who returned from war and went on to do their part to build this land of freedom. It is a time to honor those who served in the trenches of Europe, surviving the bullets, the busted gas, Barbar to free the continent from oppression. It's a time to honor those of the greatest generation who served all over the world. It's time to honor Grady, who left his beloved Betty, to fly his B-17 in support of the mission. It's time to honor the quiet Uncle Rip, felt the burden of living a good life to honor so many of his fallen brothers as they invaded the beaches of Normandy. It's time to honor those who fought in Korea, many who had survived World War II. 
the Uncle Bills who made the ultimate sacrifice to save his five-man squad. To honor Dick Overstreet, who lost his life flying his F-84E, a bombing run against a train south of Panama Jungle. It is time to honor the baby boomers for their service in Vietnam. The Davids and Lesters, who were called Doc, struggled to save their wounded brothers. Time to honor the Blakesleys and Johns, who flew their helicopter in harm's way to bring those wounded to safety and medical help. Time to honor the Allens and the field hospitals, who had to make the hard decisions, work compassionately, save and heal those in their care. It's time to honor a country boy who returned from war, put his head down, went to work, only to sum up his generation's experience of turbulent times in a beautiful poem, Brothers Like These. It's time to honor the Bills who, after serving as a Marine in the jungles of Vietnam, finished his career as a gunny, leading his troops to build airfields far north of Desert Storm. It's time to honor the Altons, who, after flying his Super Sabre and Sandy in Vietnam, led his squadron over downtown Baghdad, their stealthy 170. It's time to honor the Matthews and Kimberleys for their ultimate sacrifice sands the rock. It's time to honor the Stacys, Tommy, Kevins, left the safety and security of home, serve in the deserts of Iraq and all volunteer force. Enduring the heat, separation, and hardship make the world a better place. It's time to honor the Dr. K's, the Josephs, Elizabeth, Jeremiah's, Jeff's, and Mary Beth's, who recognized the trauma those returning heroes suffered and worked tirelessly to help relieve their stress. It is time to recognize your neighbors, the mothers and fathers who lost their children in service to this great land. Memorial Day, time, honor all those patriots, past and present, sacrificed their lives serving this great country and helping to make the world a better, freer place. It's time to honor those who returned home and have since died from their war-related illness. They are not to be forgotten. Thank you for listening.